Welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. I can honestly say that every one of my guests has highlighted something new about the condition, about myself, about life and about what's important in it. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum Kay lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Her diagnosis came about in the wake of a terrible crisis. And when it did, my family and I knew nothing about the condition. We were worried, frightened, overwhelmed. So we buried our heads in the sand, a scenario that is all too common. Now though, through my writing and campaigning, I know so much more about this much feared condition. I now know that it's possible to live a decent, if changed, life with dementia. I know it's down to society, to all of us, to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled lives. And I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. It was a poet, Sylvia Plath, who wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. Dementia teaches you this too. My guest today has just published a memoir that is compelling, funny, heartbreaking, ruthlessly honest, very informative when it comes to the topic, our topic, of dementia, and above all, a beautiful love letter to his much-missed soulmate, a phenomenal woman, and a bona fide national treasure. When Dame Barbara Windsor died in the dark COVID days of December 2020, the nation mourned the loss of not just an immensely talented and likeable actress, but a friend. We felt we knew this pocket dynamo through her countless appearances, from her early days in the Carry On films to her later role as Peggy Mitchell in EastEnders, which she played for 20 years. We didn't really know her, of course, not the real Babs, but one man did. Scott Mitchell was 26 years younger than the love of his life. They met when he was 29 and she was 55 and married. And predictably, many thought the relationship wouldn't last. How wrong they were. The couple were married for 27 tempestuous years, during which they weathered her many bouts of ill health, his drinking, her fame and its relentless intrusion into their lives. At different times, they both encountered the black dog of depression. Yet despite it all, their bond proved unbreakable. And when Barbara was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2014, Scott was there by her side. Four years later, they went public with Barbara's condition. This was hugely important. As I wrote at the time, when entertainment royalty, such as Barbara Windsor speak out, it makes headlines, generates discussion, and raises awareness in a unique and powerful way. In less than 48 hours, the subject of dementia was projected into everyone's lives. Donations to the Alzheimer's Society increased 30%. In 2019, Scott, a former alcoholic, ran the Dementia Revolution Marathon. It was to become one of the most successful London Marathon partnerships of all time, raising over four million pounds. It is only now, having read Scott Mitchell's account of his phenomenal life with this legendary actress, that I understand the depth and complexity of their love for each other and the huge courage it took them to tell the world their very personal news. Their handling of Barbara's dementia was perhaps the most poignant example of the way in which their personal and public personas were inextricably linked. Just a few months after taking the painful decision to move his wife into a care home, Scott was told that Barbara was now receiving palliative care. When her death was announced, it led all the news bulletins. 
Good Morning Britain dedicated a whole programme to her. The then Prince, now King Charles, publicly announced his sadness, along with the then Prime Minister, other politicians, royalty and hosts of celebrities, many of whom were close friends of the couple. Barbara Windsor's illuminated name was circulated around the top of the post office and Blackpool Towers. And Alzheimer's Research UK set up a condolence page that raised £130,000 within the month. This summer, the then Prime Minister Boris Johnson launched a national mission to tackle dementia and pledged to double research funding into the condition to £160 million a year by 2024. The mission is named the Dame Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission. Let's hope that this pledge survives the current political and economic turbulence. If it does, it will be a remarkable tribute and legacy. So, it goes without saying really that I'm absolutely delighted that the marathon man himself, the husband of this extraordinary woman, this four foot 10 inch kid from the streets of Stoke Newton, as she called herself, and the author of the quite brilliant By Your Side, My Life, Loving, Barbara Windsor is with me today. So Scott, a hugely warm welcome to Well, I Know Now. Oh, thank you so much, Pippa. It's, it's so lovely. It's a, such a wonderful introduction as well. I mean, thank you so much. It's a very strange thing because obviously I'm talking about this book a lot at the moment and hence Barbara is very much with me the whole time mm. because I'm, I'm completely reliving this over and over again mm. but it's actually the most wonderful wonderful thing and it's really helping me with the grieving process good it will be two years mm. in December since mm. Barbara passed mm. and at first you know when she first passed I I was stuck with the image of that last few months in the care home mm, mm. and that last couple of years, let's say, of mm. Alzheimer's Barbara. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered was by reading my diaries, I've always kept diaries, you see. Mm. Since 1987, I've kept a day-to-day -day diary. I still do it. Mm. And um, I just started reading them again. And what, it, what the wonderful thing about that was it helped me rediscover my old Barbara. Mm. The, the Barbara that I met and fell in love with. I wanted to take you back there. I was going to say, let's go back 30 years to when you yeah, first met okay, her. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, okay, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you called her a little ball of prettiness. She really was. She really was. And it, it was one of those things, it should never, ever have worked on no, paper. No. When, you, when you looked at it, it was the most bizarre circumstances yeah. that we met. Um, tell us, tell us, yeah. Well, my mother and Barbara went to dancing school together when they were 11. Huh? And they went to a school called Madame Behenna's Juvenile Jollities, <laughs> which, which in itself, you know, is a book, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> It'll probably be outlawed today, it sounds... <laughs> exactly. So um, they kind of knew each other. They, they hung around playing together around the area. So... I was down, I was living in London, I'd just, I'd been out of drama school for one year and I was visiting my parents down in Hope and uh, mum said, I said, oh, by the way, um, our old friend Barbara Windsor is doing pantomime here, it's her night off tomorrow, we've asked her over to dinner, why don't you stay down? Mm -hmm. And for some reason I said, I said, oh, I'm sure she's really nice, I said, but 
I don't really want to have dinner with you two and Barbara Windsor. <laughs> it was the most really bizarre thing a mum said, well, that's really, you know, I'm surprised you say that, Scott, because you're, you're just entering the profession. You know, she's so knowledgeable about mm. uh, the industry. I thought you'd find that really interesting. But you were young, I, Scott. I know. I was, I was 29 at the time. And I just kind of thought, well, okay, yeah, that's you know, that's true. I mean, 29, some people say isn't that young, but when I look at it now, I'd like to be 29 again. And I would think of myself as young. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And I went to pick her up, and she was staying at the home of a wonderful actor called Victor Spinetti. I remember him. I'm old enough to remember him. Oh, yeah, lovely, lovely man, really was. And I turned up at the door, and I rang the door, and she opened the door, and she, I just didn't expect this lady to look the way she did and be the way she was. She looked much, much younger yeah. than her years. Mm -hmm. She had this aura about her, which was absolutely incredible. Mm. And she just fixed me with her eyes and I said, hi, I'm Rita's son, Scott. And she went, oh, hello, darling, I'm Barbara. She said, you'll have to come in because I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about it, I thought, hold on, you've got your coat, your gloves, your handbag. You know, what is it that isn't ready about you? And she told me later that the only reason she did it was so she could get a proper look at me in the light. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, our kind of rapport started in that first car journey. Right. We, we, we just started chatting away then. And that was like for the next 27 years of our life. We always nattered. I don't know how two people found so much to talk about, considering they were with each other the whole time. Was she exactly as us viewers see her was she that then was she this bubbly chatty 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 well she was that is her kind of natural was her natural persona uh, very much so she also had very kind of uh, I'd say for someone as famous as she was I found her to be very humble and down to earth and normal with life that completely comes across in the book because one minute you are mixing with absolutely the creme de la creme i mean it's a like a yeah. talk about name dropping i mean Elton john the cliff richard silla black it just goes on and on doesn't it i mean the real yeah. creme de la creme of showbiz but then you'll be just eating your sarnies and and yeah mm. that was our favorite people that was our favorite to be at home together mm. with the door closed on the sofa having mm. a cup of tea and a biscuit watching tv together mm, you really got that Mm. Yeah, as I say, just nattering away. And and I always say that my favourite memories of my life with Barbara were not at these incredible parties. They were exciting, don't get me wrong. Mm. Anyone says, you know, you don't get a little bit excited. Well, no, you said your arm was bruised from all the pinch-me moments you have, and I was really feeling that. I was thinking, my God. Yeah, exactly. And, and Shirley you know, Bassey I, and, I don't know, these... Mm. Mm. I, know, I mean, I may have been to drama school, but I certainly wasn't at that level of... Mm, you know, mm. success and mixing with those kinds of people. So to me, I was, well, I'd say just this normal guy mm. who suddenly entered their world mm. as such. So I was looking at it very much through open, wide, excited eyes, mm. as well as being Barbara's partner, you know, mm. trying to maintain a little bit of, you know, coolness. And uh, mm. You found that quite hard at times, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. I did. Mm -hmm. I, I, did it I mean, completely understandably. Yeah, and I think also, look, the thing about Barbara and I, we never kidded each other about the age gap. Yeah. 
we knew as soon as we started having feelings for each other and we could see that it, we weren't going to be able to stop what was happening between us, mm. we knew it was going to be a really tough ride. Mm. And we knew there would be a lot of comment, mm. which there was at the mm. time, mm. as mm. you can imagine. But, you know, I understood that. Mm. I was this unknown actor. I, You know, I may have been 29. I looked about 16. Mm. Ridiculous. You did young look young. Adult. Yeah, I've seen the picture, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, um, you know, Barbara thought I was 19 when she opened the door. And she kind of, she said, she thought to herself, ooh, not sure she's a little bit young. <laughs> was it an immediate attraction? Um, well, there was certainly something, because I say, as she opened the door, I was taken back by this, this lady. I don't think straight away in my head I went, oh, God, you know, because I, I put all the obstacles in the way, like, mm. you know, this is your mother's school friend. Actually, that's a point. Dancing school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yes. so I was being rational in my head. Mm. <laughs> so, um, mm. but just at the same time, taking her in and looking at these points and acknowledging how she was. Mm. But yeah, so it took, it did take a long time to settle down mm. in, into me getting used to suddenly being in the public eye like that. Mm. But remember, when we met, Barbara wasn't in EastEnders. No, well, that's the other thing that I was going to talk about. I mean, it was phenomenal and amazing and wonderful, and you obviously had this incredible relationship. But it was very difficult because this kind of roller coaster of, and then, yeah, so tell us about that, about the... I was thinking about all the difficulties you encountered, actually, because she had a lot of health problems that I certainly wasn't aware of. She had terrible sort of diverticulitis, didn't she, which is a stomach thing where, you know, she was often feeling. And she had a hysterectomy quite young and she had heart problems and she had Epstein-Barr virus, didn't she? She had to take time off. So you had all that contaminated. You had this age difference. You had the way that your careers... Yeah, she was a bit in the doldrums. Now, talk us through that. She was a bit in the doldrums and then she was offered this role in EastEnders. Correct. When was that? How old was she? And then just explain, Scott, how that really that kind of set you off onto your difficulties, didn't it? Because her star was suddenly really going up and yours was not so much. And, you know, this is always very difficult in any relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important that we do say as well, you know, we need to put the other major factor in there that when we met, Barbara was still married. True. To her second husband, Stephen. Um, Stephen. Although they were living separate lives, basically, mm. Barbara mm. was in the West End. Mm. He was at the pub restaurant that they owned. Mm. So they really, they didn't see each other. The public weren't aware of that, but mm. they had mm. drifted, which is the only reason her and I were able to become mm-hmm. close mm. and get to know each other. So, yeah, so at that point, she would say, she did say herself, she was really struggling. I mean, she was a real grafter, Barbara. Yeah. That and she was still, get, still getting out there. She was still doing music hall shows. You know, she was one of those people that could get up and do a, a number. And um, she used to do her Mari Lloyd act. Mari Lloyd was a, a very famous old music hall mm. star. Mm. And they were compared to each other quite a lot, right. in actual fact. So, yeah, I was driving her around. I was driving her around to places, you know, Clapton mm. Town Hall, mm. all these different places, which she was more than thankful for. Yeah, she had no sort of pride like that, did she? Or... No, no, 
not at all. Uh, you know, she, she was, was happy to actor. play, yeah, you know, Clacton on Sea something rather. Nothing, not anything against Clacton on Sea. Nothing, nothing wrong with Clacton uh, um, on Sea. And then, but then <laughs> the West End, you know, and yeah, was, hmm. but, but of course she'd already done those things. We have to remember in her early career, mm. she'd very much been a West End star. Mm. She'd been on Broadway. Mm. Uh, you know what a lovely war. I mean, you know, Barbara Windsor was. A name, yeah, yeah, you know, but it had just been after the carry-ons. There was this period where she was no longer that Dolly Bird, but because they were still on the television, mm. everyone still thought she was, yeah, including casting directors. Yeah. So she was in this no man's land of casting. And she looked so young as well that she wasn't given the mm. character parts. Or was, yeah. Exactly, mm. exactly. So, you know, I always had incredible respect for her. And yes, she was still recognised mm. in those early days when I was with her, you know, from the carry-ons and mm. you'd mm. walk down the street and someone would shout, hey, carry on, Barbara, or ask about <laughs> Kenneth Williams, <laughs> see yeah. James. Yeah. But I just remember, you know, there was one poignant moment where, it, it, funny enough, it was at Clacton. We're going back to Clacton. Mm. And she did two shows, a matinee and an evening show. And I popped out after the matinee to get her something to eat. And I came back and she was on the floor of this kind of dressing room. Mm. It was very bare. Mm. I remember there was a bare light bulb. Mm. And she had this coat over her on the floor trying to get a bit of sleep. Wow. And I found it really emotional. Yeah. And, yeah. and I looked and I thought, this is awful. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it, mm-hmm. this woman who people are saying hello to, they most likely think she's absolutely loaded with money, living the life. And here she is, you know, completely mm. in the, quite the opposite. Yeah. And I just thought to myself then, I thought, oh, you, you know, you deserve more than this. You're, you're mm. such a hard mm. grafter. And lo and behold, within a year of us being together officially, EastEnders came up. They asked her to come in and read for EastEnders. That was 94. 94, okay, so before the millennium. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of like, yeah, around 94, 95, that period. Of course, because she did it for so long, didn't she? 20 years, a long time. Absolutely, yeah. over a period of 20 years, although she came out officially in mm. 2010, mm. but mm. went back and did a few more episodes. So it was an incredible time when she went into it. She was very, very nervous. Mm. I was surprised at that. She doubted herself. Mm. Yeah, oh, oh, God, yeah, everyone's surprised at that. I think mm. that's what Ross Kemp always said. He said, you know, he couldn't believe that Barbara Windsor was coming into this show, that he mm, was going to mm, work with her as mm, his mum. Mm. And yet on the first day, she was shaking. Yeah. Had to give him the handbag, the prop handbag to hold, while she ran round the back and was sick yeah. behind Meals on Wheels. Yeah. And he was stunned. Yeah, that was another eye-opener in the book. And he went on to become a really good friend, didn't he? Oh, absolutely, and, and still is. Mm. Actually, you often tell a character by their friends, and she had some mm. really good stalwart friends, didn't she? Paula Grady. Absolutely. Uh, David Williams and Matt mm, Lucas mm, were mm. great friends. Matt Lucas, yes. Biggins. Christopher long, Biggins. Mm. Yeah, long-time friend. Mm. And, you know, those people have all been absolutely fantastic. And I must say, to me also. Yeah. And since Barbara's passing. That's so nice to hear, Scott, because we hear so much negative stuff about celebrities and about yeah. everything at the moment, it seems, actually. But it's really nice to hear the good side of human nature. Oh, they, they were, listen, they were wonderful to Barbara. They kept coming to the house when she wasn't able to go out as much, mm. like, you know, later when, mm. when the illness started taking hold of her. Never let her feel she was forgotten. They would privately 
phone or text me to make sure I was okay. Mm. And most of those people that we've spoken about, you know, they are all part of my life today. Mm. Mm. I'm in contact. I have dinners, lunches with them. That's wonderful. Um, just incredible. I'm very fortunate. Mm. So going back to your original question yeah, of, of mm-hmm. how did things take off? Yes. Yeah, so she went into EastEnders and it was obvious, like within six months, that this was going to be a very popular casting. They made Barbara landlady of the Queen Vic, mm-hmm. Peggy Mitchell, and things just kind of went into orbit. And you're talking, Pippa, about a time when there was still 18 to 20 million viewers an episode. I know, incredible. Yeah, this was incredible, a really incredible time in soap and TV. So everywhere we went, it was absolutely crazy. Mm. And what I think is fair to say is people would say, oh, yeah, and that brought on insecurities in you, Scott. And I have to say, no, I had always had insecurities. I had always had my own low self-worth. And the way that I found to mask that when I was 18 Mm. was through drinking. Yeah and taking drugs Mm -hmm. just really to bolster myself to feel on par with everyone else Mm -hmm. to give me Mm -hmm. confidence Mm -hmm. so what happened was once I was with Barbara I mean we were having a great time Mm -hmm. but because we started to get this element of myself being kind of either nudged out the way people talking across your face you start to become a little bit invisible yeah it's really difficult yeah, if your self-worth isn't incredible in the first mm, place. Mm, mm. What's that going to do to it? And suddenly you're also in a bit of a spotlight as well. Mm, mm. That also magnifies everything because you start asking mm. yourself these questions. Well, yeah, who are you? Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, why are they pointing the camera at you? It's not because mm. of you, is it? You know, the, these awful conversations that we can have in our head. Doubting, doubting. Mm. Self-doubt. And, and, you know, and I always say we are the most cruel people to ourselves at times. Yes. We we? are our own worst critics. Mm, And it certainly taught me a long time to undo, Mm. you know, that way of thinking and and talking to myself. So I did kind of sink at that point into, you know, a a bad place as far as drink was concerned. And it's just a vicious circle, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. And you actually split up for a while, didn't you? Because you felt you were dragging her down. Yeah, I did. I did. The ironic thing was I actually managed to get myself sober. Mm. and uh, I'd been sober for nearly 18 months, Mm. Um, not doing very well. I wasn't accepting that I Mm. shouldn't drink. I was kind of hanging on by the skin of my teeth. Mm. Because emotionally I was all over the place, I thought to myself, I know what this problem is. Nothing to do with me. It's the relationship. Mm. It's Barbara. It's her fame. Mm. That's Mm. why I feel like this. Mm. And Mm. I suddenly said to her, Barbara, I can't be with you. And it was devastating. It was devastating for her. It was devastating for me because deep down I I loved this woman madly. Mm. And she couldn't understand it. She couldn't understand why I was going. Mm. And she said, well, if you've got to do that, love, you've got to do that. Uh, So I went off to America for a while. But you see, the contact never stopped. The first mm. person I called when I got to America was Barbara. I know, that was quite funny, I thought, when I read it. Yeah, yeah. So, but I'm here. So, I'm, I'm here. So, <laughs> you know, before I left the house, I had cameras mm. installed for her to make sure she was safe. It was the most ludicrous situation, but, it, and, you know, it's part of our story. Yes, yeah, so maybe it had to happen to show you, didn't it, that it was ludicrous? Absolutely. And, you know, wherever I went, I was taking myself with me. Mm. Yeah, you can't run away. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. 
immediately we take ourselves anywhere. You know, that's just a geographical hop that I did because mm-hmm. I thought that would solve everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know. So, so how long were you when you came back? and Came back within about six months. Yeah. And um, we just started having dinners. We were talking anyway on the phone a lot. It just fell back into place. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was just after that time that I, I proposed to Barbara. Yes. And, um, you know, thank God she said yes, yeah. which was a very happy day in my life. The drinking still had to be addressed, mm-hmm. which it was. And that got, you know, once again, out of control. Certain people shouldn't drink. Mm. And I'm one of them. And it's no more awful than that. I've addressed it. God willing, I'll be 21 years sober and clean That's this January. Scott. That's brilliant. And you talked very powerfully about the AA and how enormously helpful they were to you. Um, and it struck me, the way you speak about Alcoholics Anonymous and the support they offered you in terms of you being able to talk to other people who completely understand what you're going through because they too are facing the same challenges. This reminded me a lot of the way people talk about dementia support groups. Sharing. Mm-hmm. It's sharing and it's talking about things that you maybe thought that you were alone with. Yeah. And then you suddenly hear other people yeah. have gone through the yeah. same thing, yeah. think the same way, yeah. don't know what to do, especially, let's say, in the case of caring for someone yeah. with dementia. I mean, the most common thing that people say to me is when they've either heard me do an interview or say something, they, they say, oh, when you said that... Mm. I just thought, thank goodness, I thought it was just me. Completely. It seems a small thing, but it's a big thing, really, because it can really change somebody's day. I know it sounds ridiculous in my case. No, 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 totally. Mm, mm. I'm totally with you on that. Mm. So now let's go forward a little bit then. Yes. To when it first started. Remember you saying she just said at one point, I couldn't get my lines out. Yeah, that was around 2009. Mm -hmm. So... Everything was on track. You know, we, we were doing great together. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a new job. I was doing casting yes. for a pantomime company. Barbara was busy with EastEnders. And then she said to me, most likely twice in a short mm-hmm. period of time, she went, I don't know what happened today, Scott. She said, it's like I froze mm-hmm. on set. Mm-hmm. She said, this weird feeling came over me and I just didn't know what the next line was. Mm-hmm. And... You know, what you put it down to different things, don't yeah, you? Yeah. I put it down to, well, look, you know, Barbara is getting a bit older now mm-hmm. and she's working these ridiculous long hours. She was working the most incredible hours on East End. Incredible I hours. I mean, listen, if you said that to Barbara, you know, oh, you're working too hard, her famous response was, well, listen, love, I'm, I'm not a nurse or a doctor in an A&E hospital. She mm. said, that's what you call working hard. Mm, mm. And I used to say, no, but it's all relevant, sweetheart. You're, you're getting mm. up at 6.30 in mm. the morning, mm. you know, because they know you'll be professional and be mm. in first. Mm. And you're coming home half seven, eight at night, mm. then looking at your lines for the next day. Mm. Yeah, there's only so long you can sustain that. Also, she was under stress because of this whole pay issue with EastEnders, wasn't she? And you put it down to that a bit, too which a lot of people put dementia down to stress in the early days. Listen, I, I always say that the reason she left these senders wasn't because of any pay issue no, sure. or anything like that. But I also know that she hated any kind of stress. She always wanted to feel in a way that she was grateful to them the whole time. Barbara had a, a real sensation about being a burden in her life. Mm. Didn't want to cause trouble. Didn't mm. want to rock mm. the boat. If you got lost, I'd say, I'll oh, stop and ask someone. She'd say, oh, no, 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 don't bother anyone. Mm. 
Mm. You, you know, she's one of, one of those people. When you come up to a diagnosis of dementia, and even before the official diagnosis, mm. this is so common that I can't tell you the number of times that, you know, when people have been doing whatever job it is, you know, barrister or a bus conductor or whatever it is, often the doctor that they first go to will say, well, you're under a lot of stress, mm. you know. That's probably why you're forgetting things. It's just such a common Absolutely. thing when you're under stress for it to be sort of misdiagnosed as that and passed over exactly. a bit. Exactly, and it wasn't until 2012, in actual fact, that I took her to see a neurologist. Dr. Dr. Kennedy. Dr. Kennedy, yeah, Angus Kennedy. He really was a, a wonderful man. He had the most lovely manner with Barbara. He was incredible with me. Mm. I mean, he literally held my hand. Mm. And so, you know, I met him by myself at times to talk everything through. Mm. It's a very frightening thing, as you know, Pippa, when you're first faced with it. So without jumping straight to that point, she did leave EastEnders in 2010, Mm -hmm. reluctantly. Other work did come in, which was kind of suiting us because she had a big commercial, but it meant she could read auto cue. Mm. So I was thinking, good, she doesn't have to learn lines. Mm. She was doing radio plays, things Mm. like that. Mm. Um, It was all things that didn't challenge Mm. this problem that was starting to set in. But then, of course, at home, I started noticing the difference in her personally. Mm. And I noticed that she got a bit subdued. Mm. So I put that down to, is it the fact that she's given up full-time day-to-day work? Mm. Is it just the fact that she is getting a little older and a bit tired now? That's kind of how you feel. She was 73 by now. And I thought, Mm. you know, maybe she's worked all her life. Maybe she is just slowing down a little bit. But, of course... Then the slightly repetitive stuff started to happen, telling me the same thing over and over again. Mm. And I think it was most likely when I found the TV control in the fridge. Right. That I first, my head went, ah, Mm. I think this is more. Mm. How did you feel, Scott? I remember my stomach dropping Mm. because my initial reaction was, please don't tell me that's just happened. Mm. Please don't tell me that there could be something wrong because I knew finding the TV control in the fridge was not something that was normal. Mm. I knew this woman. Mm. She was the sharpest, like well-together lady that you could ever meet and with the most incredible memory. So I I was concerned. I didn't say anything for a little while, but then I, I was... With my therapist, actually, you know, I've always, Mm. because of my recovery, I've always done therapy. Mm. Um, Now, I was seeing a guy called Ashley Conway, Mm -hmm. who, again, was absolutely great for me. Mm. It's somewhere where I could go and just talk, not have any fear that, you know, people knew I was married to Barbara, that Mm. anything would be repeated or Mm. anything like that. It must have been a constant fear, of course. It was a constant fear. I don't believe it ever happened during my time in AA. Even if my fear was that it would happen, I don't Mm. believe it ever did Mm. to me in Mm. the rooms of AA. And I believe they're very safe Mm. places. But I did say to Ashley, I said, look, I'm getting really worried about Barbara. I said, her memory is just not right. Mm. I said, there's something about her personality. She's changing. She's getting a little bit distant Mm. when I look at her sometimes. And he said, look, you need to see this guy, Angus Kennedy. He said, I work closely with him. He said, "Um, just put your mind at rest. Mm. So I said, fine. So I said to Barbara, I said, look, love, I said, I noticed you're just getting a bit forgetful. I said, and I reckon 
it's all these lines and scripts you've learned all your life since you were 15. I said, I think you've worn your brain out. Mm. I said, and maybe if we go and see someone, there might be a little pill they can give you, like a vitamin pill for the brain mm. that might boost it a little bit. And she went, yeah, yeah, I don't mind. She said, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. So yeah. I had kind of no issue getting her there. Mm-hmm. And he did the initial tests. And he said, look, he said, what we're going to do is we're going to keep an eye on this for a little while. Mm-hmm. He said, I don't like making snap diagnosis and saying this or that. She had an initial brain scan and some cognitive tests. And he said, why don't we meet up again in six months unless you feel you need to mm-hmm. see me before. And that's what we did. But of course, there was a slow, continual progression. There was always something I was saying, yeah, I'm noticing it a little bit more. Mm. And over the next 18 months or so, he did more tests. The final one was the lumbar punch test, where they take the fluid from the spine. Mm, mm. And uh, then, unfortunately, there came that day in 2014 when he gave us the news that it was Alzheimer's Mm. and like so many people who will identify listening to this Mm. I think it was like being hit in the face Mm. it was almost as if I started grieving yeah Mm. there and then Mm. for Mm. her Mm. Um, I've often told the story that that Barbara breathed out she had tears in her eyes and it looked like she was going to start crying but she inhaled them back in Mm. and said she obviously thought about me and she just reached her hand down and said I'm sorry Scott I know that was very poignant that her the way she said sorry as if it's her fault I know I know and I said don't ever say sorry to me I said we're going to be okay um and we left the office and she was quiet And it became very evident that she didn't really want to talk about this from that day on. Mm. She was put on medication, but it wasn't something that was going to get in Barbara's way. Mm. The advice that Dr. Kennedy did say at the time of diagnosis, he gave us two very good bits of advice, actually. He said, firstly, because she's in such a strong position still, mentally, Mm. he he said, please go and sort your house out Barbara yeah put everything in order so right at the beginning we you know we went and re-looked at our wills we put power of attorney in place yes all those things early on absolutely absolutely the right thing to do yes yeah so so we kind of did that and the other thing he said to me was please Scott keep her working as long as you can Mm. he said Barbara has worked all of her life It's what comes natural to her. So that will be the most familiar thing for Barbara is to work. Mm. So, you know, we tried to do that between myself and Barbara's agent. We cherry picked the things that we thought she could do without being exposed. Mm -hmm. So as time went on, the live interviews obviously would have to stop Mm. because that's where she would be exposed, Mm. asking the same thing. Mm. And I don't need to tell any of you about the progression obviously mm, you know mm, it mm. it hits you from time to time suddenly you're going along okay for a little while mm. and then something new happens and she you know like the day she went out to the dry cleaners calling me saying I don't know where I am mm, mm. when she was around the corner in the high street a place she'd been for years and years and years yeah we all know 
what the progression is mm. and how we have to adapt mm. as carers in the moment. In the moment, that's a very good piece of advice, isn't it? Partly because of what she did and being the consummate sort of entertainer and performer. One of the things that struck me, and you talk about this, is, and this is so common, the roller coaster nature of dementia. And in Barbara's case, maybe it's a time to do a little reading now, Scott, because I thought there's a passage that really sums up this roller coaster of it for, for you, mm. because she's scared. I think you've had the diagnosis. And as you put it in the, the memoir, it's one thing forgetting the odd thing. It's quite another knowing you're forgetting things. I mean, how terrifying is that? Yeah. And so there's sort of losing Barbara in that sense. Mm. Um, but then, versus, as it were, she has a meeting with UK Gold about a carry-on project. And because it's about all these carry-on films that are so much part of her life, sort of ingrained in her DNA almost... She was on fire. You know, she knew sort of all the lines to nine carry-on films, but she'd forgotten what she'd eaten for breakfast. Absolutely. Um, And then we picked out a reading beforehand. So it's sort of like, that's difficult. It's bad. It's getting worse. And then, you know, you just say, the next day, though, was the total opposite. You went to see the Pet Shop Boys. Do you want to just take Mm. it up there? Yeah, absolutely. So the next day, though, was the total opposite. We went to see the Pet Shop Boys with David Williams and Barr danced away in the box. She'd done a film with the band many years before and chatted to them after the show. Then a few weeks later, she walked on stage with diversity and in a dramatic entrance, she flipped Ashley Banjo and Perry Kylie into a somersault and the audience loved it. There were 20,000 people on the Blackpool Promenade that night jumping about to loud rave music as Barbara turned on the lights. It's such an honour to be here, Barr said. You see, I was evacuated here during the war. I was so tiny, the couple told me I was too small to go on the bus. Oh, no, I thought, this is the wrong crowd for that story. But you know what? All 20,000 fell silent and listened to her story about how she barricaded herself into her room and screamed blue murder when the man tried to get in how the neighbour's kid had heard the shouting and taken her to their house, how the couple were in fact siblings and seven-year-old Babs had a lucky escape, and how she first went to dance classes all those years ago in Blackpool. So thank you, Blackpool, for starting me on my 70-year career, she said. Not bad for a four-foot-nothing shrimp from the East End. Way back then, the dance teacher had told Bar's mother that in Barbara Ann Deeks, She had discovered a natural-born show-off. And in many ways, as the Alzheimer's crept in, I watched the years peel away until I saw glimpses of that little girl standing her ground, fighting her corner. To the end, a natural-born show-off. Yeah, I thought that was a brilliant passage, actually. Showed you, Barbara, it shows you the characteristics that quite often occur in dementia where you go back to your childhood and yes. how these familiar things were so easy to her. The other very important thing I thought that brought out, and I've heard this with other sort of celebrities in a way, and other people who are performers, that the relative, the loved one, gets very worried when they do something in public that's obviously to do with their dementia, such as repeating mm. something, or as you thought, oh, gosh, this isn't the right audience for that story. Mm. But because Barbara is so loved, and because other people I've talked to, you know, when they make a reading and start repeating it, if you're in what you might call a dementia-friendly community. You know, if you're in a community where people sort of understand, 
they may not even sort of understand that it's about dementia, but they love you, they care for you, they're there for you, they hold you, as it were, in their hearts. You can do it, you can carry on, and they've got your back, and they love it. So I thought that was a wonderful piece, really, to show, and this difficult to watch, though, for you. You're on a knife edge all the time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and of course, look, we're talking about, of course, with Barbara, it's, it's someone who was in the public eye. Exactly. So, of course, that was exaggerated, wasn't it, to, mm, mm, to mm, the kind of mm, anxiety. Mm. But I know it's the same thing that people I talk to whose loved ones aren't in the, in the public yes, eye, yes. that they're worried what they're going to say next in front of people if people aren't aware of it. Mm. And I, I think that was a very big part of us going public when it got to the point where we couldn't hide it any longer. Mm. and we spoke to Barbara about it and I used to think to myself she's such a people's person Mm. she loves going out she loves going to the theatre still Mm. she loves people coming up to her and saying hello and Dr Kennedy and I spoke to her and and explained look we are going to have to let people know about this Barbara with your blessing because things are getting a little bit worse now for you and we can't always hide what's happening and the main thing for me getting through to her I said Barbara you will be helping so many people mm-hmm. if we talk about this oh absolutely and that was the thing that really got to her heart and she went oh yes um, so yeah I hadn't thought of that and the big thing for me was I didn't want to have to hide Barbara away yes I didn't want to have to be ashamed of her mm-hmm. because she had this illness mm-hmm. and treat her like a leper that is not allowed to go out and mix with people I know and because they, it, let's be honest, there has been a stigma. There still is a stigma. Oh, I'm afraid there still is a bit, yeah. Yeah, talking about it, there's an embarrassment around yes. it, a yes. shame around it. Mm. And I thought, no, this cannot be. Certainly not personally. I was not going to hide this lady away. Well, absolutely. And it was an enormous thing you did, as I said in the intro, you know, because she was this royalty of the entertainment world and an absolute national treasure, if ever that you know, phrase was coined for anybody. Um, mm. Of course, there was this Barbara Windsor effect, it was called, wasn't it? I mean, it had an massive Absolutely, effect. Absolutely, with the charities. And I, I think, you know, the thing that really warmed my heart was the fact that, because as I say, for four years, I couldn't talk about it publicly because she, she wasn't ready to. And I had to respect Barbara's wishes, of course. So there was a lot of pressure as far as that was concerned. But the lovely thing was when we did talk about it, we had no idea the effect it would have. And mm. what, one of the first things they told me was that other people living with dementia who were just the same as Barbara, who didn't want to talk about it to their families, mm. they were suddenly mm. saying to their loved ones, mm. oh, you know, Barbara, mm. Barbara Windsor, mm. she's got that thing that I've got, she mm. was saying. Mm. And suddenly it, it was, was right. kind of, yeah, oh, well, if Barbara's talking about it, we'll talk about it. Mm. And that's what they called the Barbara Windsor effect. I mean, it's fabulous. Yeah, I mean, the upturn in donations, in in hits on websites for all, you know, many of the Mm. charities. Mm. So Mm. it was such a positive effect. And she was so brave. And when when she kind of, you know, got hold of that concept, she wanted to do videos, Mm. uh, which she did public videos, you know, asking for support and things for, for the charities. And she was really courageous and you know I I always knew she was courageous anyway but I was doubly proud well she was courageous but you were courageous I mean one of the things you told me in advance that you know now is 
And a lot of people tell me this, and I completely understand the way it is so difficult for you as the person without dementia watching your the person you love, who is your lover. It's very difficult for you. I mean, don't underestimate how very difficult it is for the loved one. Because your emotions, as you said to me earlier, one of the things is that your emotions are fluctuating the whole time. Yeah, you're never off guard. You're never off guard. You love this person, but you get very impatient because, you know, the repetition is very difficult to deal with. The strange behaviour is, let's face it, it is very difficult to deal with. We forget, I think, as carers, you do sometimes have to be a little bit compassionate with yourself. When Mm. you're in the middle of it, you don't always tend to be. Mm. Mm, and mm. You, you have very high expectations of yourself to get things right, you know, and we can beat ourselves up. How many people have I spoken to that will say, oh, I feel so bad? Oh, guilt is an enormous part. Yeah, I got irritable with them. I said, you know, I snapped back at one point. Yeah, that's because you're human. Mm, absolutely. It's totally because you're human and none of us yeah. sort of sign up to be a carer, do we? We. No. And then suddenly you are thrust in one of the most difficult caring roles. Yeah. There and is. we're not qualified. We're not we're not we're qualified. Not qualified. For it. If it's not too painful for you, mm. I was very touched by the final sort of without getting too maudlin, but you know, how mm. Barbara died, just because I think this too will offer comfort to people. When she died, we were at the height of COVID. You know, as you rightly said, how do you explain social distancing? to somebody with severe dementia and you couldn't properly visit her and she didn't understand why people were wearing these funny things over their faces and you Barbara died at a very difficult time it was December 2020 and if we all think back we were just about to be plunged into new works when our Christmas was taken away wasn't it I get lost with all these yes yeah we were just take us back a little bit to that I mean don't if it's too painful no no it's it's fine isn't it it's in the book and it's part of me and at times I do relive it Mm. Um, I always say that I do count myself fortunate at that particular time because the particular care home Barbara was in they believed that at end of life your loved one should be with you yes and each care home were allowed to make their own decisions on Mm. that Mm -hmm. Um, obviously they have to take safety and everything else Mm -hmm. into account so I, I was allowed to be in her room with her and that turned out to be for the last five six days yes I was in that room and I was sleeping on a reclining chair mm. well I wasn't sleeping in mm. actual fact mm. I, I I literally went through nearly five days with no sleep mm. and um, in the end they got concerned for me and I think the other thing is you know most of us are also not prepared for end of life because it's not something we speak about. Well, that's right. That's why I was sort of... As we grow up. Yes, that's why I hope you don't mind me wanting to talk about it because I think it is important if people can talk about it that we do begin to talk about it because it is another one of those things with a bit of a stigma and it's the one thing we know is going to happen. It's going to happen. It's it's ironic, isn't it? The thing we don't talk about is going to happen to each Mm. and every person Mm. walking this planet. Mm. And, of course, you know, it can be a drawn-out process. And as I say, not everyone just closes their eyes and drifts off. No, I think it's often a drawn out process. It's a drawn out thing and they go through different stages Mm. and elements. And to watch that for you is absolutely heartbreaking. And for the last, you know, few days, Barbara wasn't conscious. 
as we got towards the end, but I was still talking to her. And I say that there was at one point when a palliative nurse said to me, I'd, I'd got really upset. I was, I was just mm. sitting holding her hand. She couldn't respond to me anymore. And I was mm. thinking about our life and mm. telling her about her life. Do you remember this bar? Do you remember that? Mm. I guess I was talking to myself, but I was yeah. talking to us. And um, I broke down as one of the nurses mm. came in. And that's when she said to me, she went, Scott, her hearing will be mm. the last thing to go. Mm. Mm. And do you know, so I truly believe that, Pepper, mm. because let's say there were times when I stopped talking to her and I was just sitting silently holding her hand. Mm. Suddenly, out of nowhere, I would remember something and I'd open my mouth and say it to her. And I swear to you, I could see the little nerve endings, you know, eyes flicker in in her temple and I thought you can hear me but absolutely I'm sure same thing happened with me and my mum at the very end yeah. when she had very severe dementia and hadn't really woken up for weeks or was and then we played the nine lessons and carols because it was Christmas Eve um yeah. she died on Christmas day but she did she suddenly opened her eyes and music of course and again yeah. that was interesting because you know Barbara sang that song that meant so much to her didn't she even when she was very Ill. Absolutely, the sparrow. sparrows can't sing. Mm. You know this yeah. the music connection, but anyway, or you talking about these familiar things that had happened in your life. I thought that was very, very interesting and powerful and poignant and sad, of course. Yes, yeah, all kind of all at once, and yeah, you know, it's uh, no one can really prepare you. No, it, no it's the other thing, honesty. isn't it? Mm. It's such a personal mm. thing for all of us. Mm. We all have our different memories and relationships at that, that time. I always felt I was one of the lucky ones, as I say, that I could be there as much as I was. Mm. Mm. But they did take me out on the Thursday that she passed away and said, we're a bit concerned about you, Scott, because, you you know, basically I was like a zombie. I hadn't slept. Like my own mental state was fragile let's say I was very emotional and they said look please will you just sleep upstairs in one of the empty assisted living flats on the first floor Barbara was on the ground and I just went well okay yeah and they'd also said to me earlier in the day some people won't go while their loved ones are there mm. they won't mm. let go and of course I went up to this assisted living place and they were trying to call me on my mobile, but I'd forgotten I'd left it on voicemail to say there'd been a rapid change. By now, I was fast asleep. I'd only left for an hour before. And by the time they got me out of my room mm. and I rushed downstairs, I knew before I'd even got there, mm. I knew I knew she'd mm. gone. You know, there was a part of me that felt, oh, God, I let her go alone. She was with, carers were in the room and nurses were in the room. She but, knew you, you know, were I, there. She I always you said, there. you know, I always said to her, I'll always be by your side. Don't mm. you worry. Mm. And that kind of hit me at first. But I remember the, the, the vicar, Simon Grigg, who took the service for her. When I spoke to him a couple of days after she passed, he said, Scott, that was her last gift of love to you. Yes. She slipped away without you being there. Yes. And I thought that was a beautiful way. Yes. Uh, for him to put it to me. So many people say that, Scott. It happened to me and my mum. You know, so yeah. many people. And my dad, yeah. actually, he waited and they just said to me, go. And it was literally almost, you know, like you, really, about an hour or two later. And it was like he'd waited 
yeah, yeah. I think it is very, yeah. very common that. It is common, and I believe it. I still think it's something that needs to be spoken about over and over. I do believe that more and more people need to know about it. The amount of people, you know, I get in cabs a lot and I'll talk to them and mm, mm, I'll say, have you ever had it in your family? And a lot of them will say, well, no, no, I haven't actually. And then you'll start telling them just a little bit and they go, oh, I didn't know that happened. Yes, I know. It's incredible how much is not known. Yeah, so we still need so much education about it. Absolutely. Because we all know the stats. We all know the stats know. on this. I know, I know, I know. And because we're all just living so much longer, you see, because you said one of the things you know now, it affects hearing and mobility and it affects everything, really, you know. Um, people don't even realise that you die of it. They say, well, how do you die of dementia? Because you don't swallow in the end, you know, because exactly. it's a brain disease and your brain stops telling your body how to function. And yes, you know, people very much in the dark. And dare I say, even people who are in the sort of health and social care profession, sometimes if it's not their subject. When you think about how in many ways unprepared the NHS are mm, mm. To, to have to care for dementia patients with and there's nothing really in place there mm. and we know it's a knock-on effect they can't be discharged from hospital until the social care is in place yes and it's, nine times out of ten that's not in place so they get stuck that in holds hospital. up the beds mm. that holds up the beds and it's a terrible terrible ripple effect that goes out and and also you know for the poor people that are in hospital living with it living with dementia it's being worst in a strange place, place. worst it's, possible it's place it's worst scenario mm-hmm. that, that you could well i know listen i know from my point of view i'm an ambassador for alzheimer's research uk we first went to see him in 2019 boris johnson mm. when he was prime minister that mm. was to talk, discuss social care yes in, in actual fact that was when we were ambassadors for alzheimer's society yes and um, you know and just general care for people and um, recently I'd, I'd written to him on behalf of ARUK Alzheimer's Research had, UK yes Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's Research UK just to say that they had this conception about an idea of a task force a dementia task force based on what we did with the COVID vaccine, but specifically for dementia, Mm -hmm. and get all these brilliant brains together and industry people, and let's focus on getting these trials pushed through quicker Mm. for people. Let's get people to start taking part in the trials. Mm. And I went to see him, and first of all, he did pledge to commit to the doubling of the 160 million a year Mm -hmm. from 80, Mm -hmm. and that will be done by 2024. Mm-hmm. And he also said in regards to the task force, it, with my blessing, they'd like to call it the Dame Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission. Isn't that amazing? Babs Army. Most, Babs Army, I think you... Yeah, Babs Army, which was the most incredible thing. Mm-hmm. He'd set aside 95 million to get that going. And the thing about that part of it is this would be specifically to speed up the trials of new treatments. Yes, yes. Now, what we've got to remember, Pippa, is even if that was all put in place tomorrow... Yeah, And of course, we've got to put a team in place, everything else. Even if you find this tomorrow, it will most likely be two or three years before it's in the mainstream. Now, I am quite concerned because obviously no one knew we were going to be in this absolute mess Mess. of the economy. Mm. It's the Mm. only word I can call Mm. it. Mm. And who knows as well with the people at the top of government at the moment. Exactly. But Mm. I do know that there has been suddenly a delay. Yes. 
not at all surprising, is it? I, I feared no, you might not. say as much. The, I mean, in fact, it was a to be on the, on the task force. Yeah. And I have said quite publicly and openly to the new prime minister mm. that I understand what a mess this country is in. I understand we have to find savings, mm. cuts mm. and everything else. But please do not touch what has been put in place for mm. dementia. Mm. It mm. has been kicked into the long grass mm. for so many years. Absolutely. And and that's why now we are in the situation with dementia that we are, mm. that it's, it's the biggest killer with heart disease, mm. that it costs the economy $26 billion a year absolutely, because of the effects of it. And let them make their cuts elsewhere. Let them ask the energy giants who they refuse to put pressure on or tax them higher. If they're not going to do that, let them ask all those energy giants to all have a whip round and yeah. make sure that this dementia pot is yeah. filled yeah, and absolutely. that the government don't have to stop that money coming yeah, through. Because, it'll be because a million families a and a million people living with it out there I know. would all be very grateful and future generations yeah. may not have to go through it. Yeah, well said, Scott, well said. Well, thank you very, very much. And we'll say our goodbyes now because then you are going to, as you rightly said, just at the very end, there is a beautiful passage where you sort of sum it all up, really. So thank you so much, Scott. And I'll let you now sort of read us out, as it were, with the passage. Thank you, Pippa. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. For those going through this now, and for anyone who will do in the future, there is no blueprint for how to care for someone with dementia. It's cunning and baffling and throws you curveballs the whole time. You will learn daily and adjust and try to do your best, although at times you won't always get it right, as I did not. Try not to berate yourself. As carers, we are human. And most of us have no experience, so why should we be able to get it right? All we can really do is be there and try to make our loved one feel safe in the moment. Don't dismiss them or talk to them as if they are children, even when at times it may feel like that. And remember that no two people have the same dementia experience. So not everything that I've spoken about in our experience will definitely happen in yours. But I send everyone much strength and love, whatever your journey might be. I'm trying to look forward, not with sadness, but with a true sense of feeling incredibly blessed and grateful that Barbara was such a major part of my own life. To see her smile, hear her laugh, still smell her Shalimar in my mind and remember her sense of fun and love of life. When sadness overwhelms me, I think of Bar and I hear her voice. There was something she said to me numerous times over our many years together. Listen, darling, I will go first because that's how it's meant to be. And when I do, I want you to be brokenhearted and cry your eyes out. And then, when you're ready... I want you to pick yourself up and have the best life ever, Scott. Because that's what I always try to do. And normally, I succeeded. What a truly wonderful man Scott is. I felt very lucky to talk to him about the bouncy, blonde bundle of prettiness that was Barbara Windsor, forever in the nation's hearts as our Babs. His memoir reads as he speaks. It's direct and down to earth. From his first encounter with the woman his mum met as a girl at Madame Behenna's juvenile jollities to 
their very last moments together. The story of Barbara's life and how she came into his when she opened the door to Victor Spinetti's house is one of giggles and fun, struggles and tears, heartache and deep love. The story of their life together also reveals so much about dementia and what it does to relationships, how it can test them to breaking yet ultimately make them stronger. I'm full of admiration for the way in which Scott and Barbara both turned her devastating diagnosis into a powerful, positive drive to raise awareness of dementia and enhance research into it. We must all hope against hope in these difficult times that the government, whoever may be forming it or leading it, does not pull back from the ambitious yet crucial aims of the Dame Barbara Windsor Dementia Mission. Take a lesson from the four-foot shrimp from London's East End and just knuckle down and get on with it. By Your Side, My Life, Loving Barbara Windsor by Scott Mitchell is published by Seven Dials and it's available in hardback, ebook and audio download. And I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast. And then together, perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.